Grits and peace. Good morning. It's so good to be with you um, this morning. My name is David Roth. I'm the director of Memorial Drive Ministries. Well, Jenny is away on maternity leave. It's good to um, get to be with you to open our Bibles together and celebrate the Lord's Day together. I also um, bring you Advent greetings. It's the third Sunday of Advent. As Amy mentioned, Advent is, of course, the season of preparing, preparing for the arrival of Christ, preparing for God's uh, coming. And uh, for many of us who may not have grown up in a liturgical church, Advent may feel unfamiliar. Um, Even if you did grow up in a liturgical uh, church, and you just live in Atlanta in our day and time, it's a busy season, right? Advent probably snuck up on many of you. Um, And if that is the case, I'm here to say uh, that is fine. That is 100% totally fine if Advent snuck up on you. In fact, uh, in many ways, that's the purpose of Advent. Advent sneaks up on us so that Christmas doesn't. Advent sneaks up on us so that the arrival of God does not sneak up on us. So there's still time to practice Advent. And that's going to be kind of our theme um, today as we delve into the text and and throughout this sermon, we're going to be asking, what does it look like to be an Advent people? What does it mean or feel like to be an Advent people? Um, But before I do that, I do need to take just a minute of personal privilege to say thank you, um, not only for the invitation uh, to be here to preach, but also for the way this congregation has partnered with Memorial Drive Ministries in the Kitchenware Drive. We've been collecting kitchenware items for the apartments that are going to welcome newly arriving refugee families, people who have fled persecution and war and violence around the world and who are arriving here as some of our our newest neighbors and friends, um, they're going to need apartments that have kitchenware items. And you guys are providing those items in concrete ways. And I'm so grateful that as the church calendar calls us to prepare for the arrival of one who is coming, that you guys have been doing that in concrete ways for newcomers to our city who are rebuilding their lives. You're helping prepare concrete welcome. So thank you so much for all those who have already participated. And also that um, drop-off window is from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. at MDM this afternoon. So if it's a rainy day and you want to run by Target and grab some kitchenware items, um, we'd love to see you during that window. Um, There's flyers also on the way out the door if you want to participate in that way. But um, commercial over, back to Advent and Isaiah. So... Um, How do we become an Advent people? One of the church's great guides into the season of Advent is Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. And we've been um, sitting with Isaiah over the last few Sundays as our kind of guide into the season of Advent. And as we do that with today's text, I think we're going to learn three things from Isaiah about what Advent is and, and how it feels to be an Advent people and how we become an Advent people. And those three things are longing, preparing, and receiving longing for the arriving God, preparing for the arriving God, and then receiving the arriving God. Let's start with longing. So Advent is born in longing. Advent is born in a longing for home and a longing for God. The scripture from Isaiah, it comes to a people who are living in exile, who are living outside their homeland in a foreign land, Babylon. These were people um, who had been displaced involuntarily against their will, deported from their homeland. The exile was this event in ancient Israel's history where Babylon attacks Judah, conquers the country, sacks the city of Jerusalem, destroys the temple, and then carts the people off into exile in Babylon. And as people adjust to life in Babylon and the trauma they've faced, you have to understand there's this immense longing behind the text that the people are feeling. Everything they've lost, they're longing for it to return. They're longing for themselves to return to the place. There's a longing for home. 
working at Memorial Drive Ministries and in Clarkston and with resettled refugees, people from all over the world who have been displaced by war, these are people who in the face of persecution made the moral choice to flee with their families. But they've been forced from their homes involuntarily and they found themselves, find themselves in a new place trying to rebuild. And this is something we hear over and over again is this sense of longing. It's almost a marker of the refugee experience, this deep sense of longing for the way things were before the conflict. I remember sitting in the apartment of a man from Iraq and he was telling me about his homeland and his hometown in Iraq and suddenly he got very serious and he pulled out his phone and almost desperately he showed me pictures of his hometown and his homeland and he he came to these pictures of just trees near his house and he said, these trees, look at these, look at them, how beautiful. There are no trees like that here. Do you hear that sense of loss, that sense of longing for a homeland? Um, it's not uncommon for older refugees who have arrived to the U.S. at some point to kind of break down emotionally at some point. And they begin to tell a caseworker or a confidant or a friend, I have to go back. I want to go back. Take me back. And they're not being ungrateful that for the good things they've encountered in the new place. And they're not um, wanting to go back to the war or the persecution or the famine. What they're wanting is to get back home. They want to get back home. They want to get back to the place before all the violence of the world took something away from them, right? That's exactly what ancient Israel was facing in their exile. But add to all of that for ancient Israel the theological dimension. For many at that time, God was in the temple, like physically located in a place, a place that had been destroyed. As Jerusalem is burned behind them and the temple destroyed, it looks like God, the Holy One of Israel, had been defeated, that God had died. God had been put to the sword by the God of Marduk. There's complete disorientation and alienation. The Lord had been taken away from them. And as the people are kind of marched along an ancient trail of tears into Babylon, with every step they feel further and further and further away from God. And so as they long for their home, they're also longing for God. And Advent calls us to feel our way into that place, that place of longing. You know, in Christian theology, there's this phrase that gets used sometimes, already, not yet. Already, not yet. And it's a Christian way of trying to speak truthfully by speaking two things. Already, not yet. It's the Christian way of trying to speak about salvation. Are we free of our sins? Already? Not yet. Has Christ conquered death? Already? Not yet. See, on the one hand, Christ's death and resurrection has conquered death and freed us from our sins. But on the other hand, we still die. We still need the Holy Spirit's activity to renew our world. We still need to turn from sin, right? Already. Not yet. And as we march through the church calendar, there are seasons of already. Easter is a season of already. We experience the resurrected Christ and the resurrection hope. And Pentecost is a season where we experience the power of the Holy Spirit in our midst. Christmas will be an already season. God incarnate come to us. But in Advent, we don't rush there. We stop in the longing, in the not yetness of what God is doing in the world. 
And let me tell you why this is so important to sit with the not yetness of what God is still to do. Because for many people around the world, and I suspect many people in this room, the texture of life feels more like not yet. It feels more like longing. There's um, way back in my college days, I remember this event that I think illustrates this that I'll share. Um, it was like a student club debate between a, a, a Christian campus ministry and like the secular humanist student alliance. That was more for agnostics and atheists. So it was a great idea. We'll get 18, 19 year olds and we'll solve the world's problems. So, um, and of course, the question was a, a simple one does God exist? <laughs> so, okay, so you get these three students, three students on each side, kind of point for point, argue back and forth, trotting out arguments. That's all well and good. Um, but at the end, there's about 20 or 30 people in the room, and at the end, it became more personal in a time of Q&A and a little more of a discussion. And one of the women kind of on the Christian side had raised her hand, and she said, you know, I really think that if you go into your room and you close the door and you pray and you reach out to God and say, God, reveal yourself, I know that God will honor that. God will come to you. God will honor that, and God will reveal God's self to you. And one of the unbelieving students responded, and it's words I've really remembered for over a decade now, because he said, you know, I tried that. I tried that every day for three years, asking God to reveal God's self. And then he said these words that have kind of haunted me. And honestly, I find it insulting that you could pretend it's that easy. You see, if we're only already people, we run the risk of kind of offending or insulting someone who's still in the waiting. But Advent calls us to be an Advent people who also know what it feels like to long for something that hasn't quite yet come, to long for something. So Advent calls us to solidarity with people who are still longing for home, still longing for God, a God who may feel absent, right? Advent calls us to solidarity with refugees in today's world who are longing for home and solidarity with spiritual refugees in today's world who are still longing for God. But Advent's not only about longing It's also about preparing, preparing for the arrival of God. Let's look at number two, preparing, preparing hospitality for God. Advent is actually a kind of call to hospitality, to prepare concrete welcome for one who's on its way. Let me try to show you what I mean. Advent starts in our longing for God, but Advent also contains within it a proclamation. He is coming. God is coming. The thing you are longing for is on its way. The arrival of God is imminent just around the corner. Wait just a little longer. God is coming. Um, You see it in today's text. It's repeated twice. He will come. It's said twice. And Walter Brueggemann, um, an Old Testament professor, has said the whole text that we read today hinges on it, hangs on the words, he will come. Advent is this proclamation that he will come. An arrival is just around um, the corner. Galo Day says this, Advent is not just simply a warm-up for Christmas. Rather, the season of Advent marks the church's hopes for new life with God, born and expressed anew. Advent is the season where the church holds its breath in anticipation and expectation of the fresh coming of God into the world. The church's calendar is marked by the expectancy for the arrival of God, not simply the arrival of the Christmas season. We're looking for the arrival of God, the very arrival of the living God. But think about what you do before an arrival What do you do before an arrival? You prepare, that's right. 
Before a baby arrives, you prepare the nursery. Before the meeting, you prepare the agenda. Before the uh, dinner party, you prepare the meal. Before the grandparent arrives, you prepare the guest room. Um, as refugees are arriving to the United States admitted for resettlement, <clears throat> there are nonprofits and communities who are preparing for their arrival. Many of you got here early to prepare space for worship. Before an arrival, we prepare. But what would it mean to prepare for the arrival of God? Hmm? What would it mean in your heart, in your life, in our world, to prepare for the arrival of the living God? And this is where Isaiah is so prescient and so helpful. And we won't have time to fully unpack everything I want to say about this, but Isaiah is consistently naming two things that get in the way between us and God. Injustice and idolatry. These are the two things Isaiah is honing in on and saying, that's the garbage that makes God feel unwelcome. What are we going to do about it? So this is something you'll see across the pages of your scripture. Injustice and idolatry being named. And it's especially named in the prophets. But then even within the prophets, I don't think there's any prophet who's as eloquent and rigorous and furiously and poetically going on and on about these two things. Injustice and idolatry. Listen to these words from Isaiah chapter 1. Bring no more vain offerings. Your incense is an abomination. I cannot endure your assemblies. My soul hates your festivals. This is God talking to the people. I am weary of bearing them. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear them. I will not listen. For your hands are full of blood. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. And as you move through the book of Isaiah, you see that injustice and idolatry are actually intertwined. They're connected somehow. And I don't think anyone gets this better than Abraham Cho and Nicholas Wolterstorff. Listen to these words. Israel's worship was rendered unacceptable when the people ignored the demands of biblical justice in their social, moral, economic, and political lives. And listen to Wolterstorff say it again this way. Liturgy practiced in the absence of justice is so seriously misformed and malformed that God finds it disgusting. That's a gut punch, right? (laughs) And listen to this. This is Abraham Cho. I think if we can really let this sink down into our being, this will change the way we look at the world. Listen, where we see the smoke of injustice, we'll find the fire of idolatry. Injustice reveals idolatry. If you mistreat God's image bearers, you show that you're not worshiping the true God. This is what Isaiah is saying. You may take the name of the Lord on your lips. You may cross yourself in the name of the triune God. You may light Advent candles in your home. But inasmuch as we are complicit with the powerful crushing the powerless, inasmuch as we are perpetuating injustices, uh, inasmuch as we are complicit with what Isaiah will, will say, grinding the nose of the poor, Inasmuch as we are denying justice that's in our power to deliver, we're worshiping a false god. We've let a false god creep into the worship of our hearts, and the fruit on the trees of our lives shows it. And so what Isaiah is coming to the people and saying, prepare. God's on his way. Prepare. There's something in between you and God. Prepare. Let me tell a a quick story. Recently, uh, after a Jubilee Council meeting here at the church, one of the council members, a friend, came up to me and he said, um, 
my teenage son just got his driver's license and he took my car, so now I'm stranded here. <laughs> so I need a ride home. Can you give me a ride home? And I thought kind of magnanimously, of course. I will give you a ride home. This will be my good deed of the day, my act of Christian hospitality. I'll give you a ride home. And so I kind of led him to my car. As we arrived at the car and he began to open the passenger seat, ah, it's a total mess. I had like work bags piled up. There's like loose CDs and like fast food bags like stuffed in every crevice. I have twin three-year-olds, so there's like the obligatory Cheerio and goldfish crust like on every service, right? So I had said yes to the arrival, but I was unprepared. I was not prepared. And there was this moment, he's very polite, so it was just a moment. But there's a moment where his face said, I don't know if I'm welcome here. I don't know if there's space for me here, right? When God arrives, we want to be prepared. So we have to do everything in our power to to go into the corners of our hearts and find every instance of idolatry or injustice and work it out of our hearts and then out of our lives and then out of our worlds to prepare for the arrival of God. All right, lastly, Advent is about receiving, receiving the hospitality of God. Um, And this is an interesting thing. As we prepare for God to arrive, we can start to think we're building a house and God's the guest. But what happens when God actually arrives is the, it's like the camera zooms way out and we see all along it was actually God who was preparing a home for us. And we see it in our text today. Let me give a story to try to illustrate it and then we'll dig into the text a little more on this point. But um, years ago, a group of us, a community group from this church actually, we participated as a good neighbor team. And a good neighbor team agrees to walk along a newly arriving resettled refugee family just um, to provide a relationship point, basically. So it's an agreement to be on the kind of reception team that receives a family and then um, walks alongside them for six months visiting weekly. So it's a commitment to to visit weekly for about six months. Um, And as we got involved in this, I really thought of myself as what we were doing was um, extending hospitality. And in a sense, we were, right? Extending hospitality like we're native-born Americans. These are... Uh, a family of five from Myanmar who are fleeing persecution in Burma and are arriving here. They need a sense of welcome. And we were trying to extend that hospitality. But as we engaged in the work, we were going to their apartment. And it was their tea we were drinking. And it was their soccer ball being offered up to kick around with their you know, teenage daughter. Do you see the role of host and guest got flipped? I thought we were the host and they were the guests, but as I engage in relationship in the hospitable moment, what happens is they, they, they move around and we were the guests and they were the host. That's what hospitality has the power to do. And as you are called in Advent to, to prepare, prepare for the arrival of God, what I think we're going to see from the text of Isaiah is don't think you're the host. God is the one who's preparing a place for you. Let me, let me try to show you in the text where we see this. Look at verses 1 and 2. The wilderness, the dry land, the desert. These are the places of lifelessness, of ugliness, of disorder. The places that can't be hospitable to human life and were not places in Israel's memory of communion with God. When God shows up, they're given the glory of Lebanon, the majesty of Carmel, the splendor of Sharon. What does that mean? What, it, th- those are stand-ins for uh, beauty, 
order, productivity, the essence of hospitality, the kind of creation of a space where life can flourish. What those verses are saying is when God shows up, God's going into the places in the world of ugliness, the places of lifelessness, the places of disorder, and calling forth beauty there and order and fellowship. God's making the very world into a place where you can be received. And then look at verses five and six. The eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame shall leap like a deer, the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. These are the challenges in people's lives they have no more control over. Weak knees, tired hands, anxiety and fear, inability and ignorance, feebleness and frailty. These are things we know something about. And if you're really working at preparing a place for God to get the injustice and the idolatry out of your heart and your life and your world, there'll, there'll come a point where you're like, I can see where we need to be, but we're not there yet. And I'm like bumping against the limits of my personhood and the constraints of my environment to get us there, but I can't get there. Those are the places when God comes, that's exactly where he's going to go. Those are the things God will accomplish on our behalf when God comes. And then lastly, look at verses 8 and 10. These are the verses that show God bringing us home. A highway shall be there. No travelers will go astray. No beasts shall come upon it. They will return to Zion with singing as sorrow and sighing flee away. Think of what Judah suffered on their way to Babylon. Dragged into captivity, made to march across the burning sands of the Middle East, likely from Jerusalem to Baghdad, probably 900 miles at least, on foot. Their feet bruised, vulnerable to attacks, weary from lack of food and water in the harsh climate. A friend at Memorial Drive Ministries fled Sierra Leone in the 90s, and he told me of his plight as he fled through the sands. People were lost along the way. That memory would have been fresh for Israel in exile. And the prophet comes and says, the return will not be like that. The return will be a dedicated road that God provides No ravenous beasts will come on it, for it will be guarded. And the way will be festivity and joy and singing as you're on your way back to the feast in the house of Zion. This is God's hospitality. For all our preparing a place for God, God is preparing a place for you. For all our longing for God, God's longing for you. For all our endeavors to receive the living God into our hearts, God is coming to receive you and to bring you and I home. That's the Advent vision of hope that the whole world will become a place where God and you and all creation can dwell in harmony again. The exiles will have a dedicated safe road back to Zion where sorrow and sighing will disappear. Maybe some of you when you were little um, played hide and seek. Do you remember playing hide and seek? When you're the hider, the person who's it's counted back down from 20. (laughs) And then what do they say? Ready or not, here I come. That's right, ready or not, here I come. In Advent, Jesus sings to the world, ready or not, here I come. And it turns out we're never ready. But Jesus comes anyways. These are words from John Milton. The Lord will come and not be slow. His footsteps cannot err. 
Before him righteousness shall go, his royal harbinger. Mercy and truth that long were missed, now joyfully are met. Sweet peace and righteousness shall kiss, and hand in hand be set. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you're the God that makes a way, that brings us home, that puts a highway in the desert to bring us back to you. And we know that that work of making a way comes at great cost to your son, Jesus. Bring us now to this table. We cannot come on our own accord, but we give ourselves to you in offering. We rely on you. We turn from our violence. We repent of our injustice. We ask for your forgiveness and your mercy. Turn towards us that we can live new lives. Dwell with us and give us the sacred longings of our heart. We ask you to make all things new. In the end, put all things under your Christ, the only one in whom we can trust. It's in his strong name we pray. Amen.